Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. In our Halloween episode, we already met one of the fabulous lady aeronauts. Oh, aeronaut, as in uh, hot air balloonist? As in hot air balloonist. Yay! So listeners might remember we met Lily Cove. Yes. Who is famous for going up in her bloomers and riding on a trapeze. Underneath the hot air balloon. And coming all the way back down again. Yes, sadly. (laughs) That might be what she's most famous for. Yeah. Today we're going back a little to the very beginnings of hot air balloons. Oh, cool. So like late 1700s? Yeah, do you remember, have you seen John Adams? The miniseries? Do you remember that scene where they're all standing there in Paris watching that first hot air balloon go up? Uh, I forgot all about that. That's always what I associate with the beginning of hot air ballooning. Ah. I think that was the first flight that they're watching in that scene. Yeah, that was the first untethered flight, which was in Paris in 1783. Oh, cool. I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. To learn about these daredevil divas... (laughs) I talked to Sharon Wright, who is the author of an amazing book, Balloonomania Bells. I'm Sharon Wright. I'm the author of Balloonomania Bells, the Daredevil Divas Who First Took to the Sky, which is the lost history of the Lady Aeronauts, really. First Women to Fly. Sharon Wright is a longtime journalist, and this is her first book, although she's currently working on a book about the Bronte's mother. Interesting. Which I realize no one has ever talked about, so I am yeah very excited for that one. Cool. This book is so much fun. It's so delightful that I was reading sections of it aloud to my husband on a road trip, <laughs> and I ended up reading essentially half of the book to him, and then he <laughs> stole the book when we arrived and wouldn't give it back because he wanted to read it. <laughs> so... It might provoke fights in your relationship, but it's totally worth it. Cool. So, let's talk about that first hot air balloon flight. Let's do. So, the real history of hot air balloons has to go back a few years before the flights in Europe, because the Chinese were launching hot air balloons a bit earlier, about 1,500 years earlier, to be precise. (laughs) But there's no record of them ever launching manned flights, although they certainly figured out the physics of the process a lot faster than the European inventors did. The first hot air balloon was invented by two brothers named the Montgolfiers. I'm going to mispronounce everything in this episode because French is unfortunately not one of my languages. (laughs) The legend says they were sitting in front of a fire and they noticed that the laundry, which was drying over the fire, was rising up in the air. Specifically, a woman's bloomers 
oh. rising up <laughs> in the air. How appropriate. And they thought, this is amazing. What is happening? So they started playing around with it, trying to figure out what was making this happen and how they could recreate it. Cool. My favorite part of the legend says they were creating paper balloons and trying to get them to rise, and they kept just tipping over until finally a wise older woman from next door stuck her head in the window, laughed at them, and said, You fools, you have to taper the bottom in to contain what they thought was the smoke that was making Uh. the balloon rise. And ta-da, the hot air balloon was born. Boy, France in the late 1700s. It was the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Just before the revolution ripped it all apart and slaughtered everybody. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) So the Montgolfiers were thrilled. They decided to publicly demonstrate their first large-scale hot air balloon, and they set it off at Versailles for Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. The balloon launch was a success, and a sensation was born. The French go wild for hot air balloons. It's a phenomenon instantly. People cannot get enough of it. To the point where they call it the balloon influenza. (laughs) It's balloon fever, balloonomania. People are obsessed with hot air balloons and the people who fly in them. It makes sense. It must have been the equivalent of landing on the moon, you know? Yeah, it seems... Like, game changer. Yeah, it seems utterly incomprehensible. Yeah. So this is the same time period, roughly, as Caroline Herschel discovering comets. It seems like the same kind of thing. Like, it seems like magic, but it's just science. And people can explain it and reproduce it. I think I would have had balloon balloon fever. Balloon Balloon fever or or (laughs) balloonomania. I would have had it. I bet it was awesome. Oh, yeah. I I would have been the first one out there. Yeah. (laughs) But it was also incredibly dangerous and extremely Ah. terrifying. They had no idea what might happen if you went Mm. up in a hot air balloon. Right. Yeah. I suppose the highest anybody had ever been was... What, the the tower of a cathedral? Yeah, a tall mountain. Yeah. There was no way to know, and they were deeply concerned that you might die if you go up in a balloon. Like, yeah, the human body is not designed to go to such heights or something like that. They were very convinced (laughs) at the beginning that your brain would probably explode. Oh, yeah, probably. If you went up in the air. And so the (laughs) the first living things to go up in a balloon, a tethered balloon... We're not people. They were animals. They mm. sent up a sheep and some other animals and <laughs> sent them way up and then brought them back down. Said, okay, they're still alive, first of all. <laughs> That's a good sign. Wow. They don't seem to have exploded in any way. And so eventually, some brave humans decided to risk it. Mm. Not the Montgolfiers. They invented uh. it. They profited off of it. They became very well-known showmen. They never went up in a hot air balloon. What? In their really? entire lives. Oh, that is awesome. They, I think, realized the danger and had no interest. Wow. Participating in the experiment personally. I love that. But there were plenty of brave volunteers 
who wanted right. to go, be the first to go up. <laughs> and many of whom actually did endanger their lives, not just from the obvious crashing, but they had no idea what the limits were. So uh, several of the early adopters of hot air ballooning passed out. They went so high that they passed oh. out from lack of oxygen and mm -hmm. only just made it back down. They could have died. I mean, your brain might not explode, but you can right. die from going up in a hot air balloon. Huh. After the first, very first flights been made in the Montgolfiers, Kavala, who was an early historian, suggested that a few years hence, the most timid woman will perhaps not hesitate to trust herself to the same experience. Well, hesitate. They couldn't wait, as we know. They just well in there. The British actually tried to totally blank the whole thing for nearly a year. Just, oh, it's ridiculous. What use is that? We're so angry that the French invented it. But, um, yeah, there are lots of things flying about in the Montgolfiers used um, smoke, as they thought. I mean, it's obviously hot air they came to realise it was doing the work, but thought it was smoke, so they'd burn to fill it with smoke. And then when news got to Paris, they did got confused as well and they thought it was hydrogen, so the first hydrogen balloon went over. Suddenly, with two Italians and a French aeronaut, Pierre Blanchard, Count Zambacari, absolutely bonkers, Vincent Lunardi, he was a young aeronaut and he became the first one to fly. Not literally frightened to be the first people to fly and then to get the first lady into the sky. And actually the first women to fly in England were French. Two little dancers called Leonora and Rasheen Simere, only 13 and 14. And they really glad he took them up, it was a big deal. So the French are wild for this. They can't get enough of it. The British perhaps are just really angry that the French thought of this first. How dare they? They're <laughs> superior. And so for about a year, they just stoically ignore the entire phenomenon. Maybe they're waiting to see if the French die. And then <laughs> I think they're secretly hoping that it will turn out to be a huge mistake. A huge That's mistake. That's why we didn't yeah. think of it. Right. Yeah. We're, we're smarter than that. As it became apparent, it wasn't a huge mistake. They started bringing hot air balloons over. It's all show business. The Beast Tribe Baker, it was solely, but it's all show business. Using the science to give a show, to make money, to entertain crowds, to get famous. Yeah. And nobody was better at that than the husband of the woman we're talking about today. Sophie Blanchard was six years old when the Montgolfiers first sent people up into a hot air balloon. So she is growing up right in the midst of this hysteria about yeah. this brand new invention. When she is 16, she marries Jean-Pierre Blanchard, who was the world's first professional aeronaut. Oh, professional. Grasp this very early on. This is a great way to make money. Mm. He was a brilliant showman, a spectacular performer, a terrible businessman, and it seems a pretty awful guy. <laughs> but he did introduce her to something that would completely change her life. <laughs> well, she was married to Jean-Pierre Blanchard, who was the first professional aeronaut. And he was a real Huxton showman, and he became famous, really, for crossing the channel with Dr. Jeffries, an American bowler who basically funded it. 
And he tried to get all the glory for himself by getting a lead-lined suit made by a tailor. Unfortunately, the tailor um, delivered it to Jeffreys. So that was a bit embarrassing. And I can't imagine how awkward that was when they just sort of looked at this suit and just ignored him. <laughs> <laughs> they managed to cross the channel by basically throwing all their clothes out and then weeing into jars. I thought at that point, you'd think you would be on the side thing if you're actually going to crash into the sea, but no, they did it very decorously. So he became very famous and that's when he met her, I think. I must say, that's a lot of self-confidence to be wearing a lead-lined suit while crossing water yeah. <laughs> in a hydrogen balloon. <laughs> so whilst Blanchard was this amazing showman, he's very famous. Nothing happened without Blanchard being there, you know, sending his balloon up and all the razzmatazz. He absolutely had no head for business whatsoever. They were going bankrupt. And he was blowing all the money. So basically, Sophie started going up with him at the displays to pull in the punters and to make money because they were going bankrupt. Keep the Blanchard balloon on the road. So it's really, really timid, small, small woman. She used to be really frightened of traffic. She used to like noises, she used to make a jump, she used to cry if things were too loud. She's very, very nervy and sensitive. First time she went up in a balloon with him, she said it was an incomparable experience. She absolutely had found her element, which is the natural. Huh. So to me, this sounds like what we would now say is a sensory processing disorder or generalized anxiety. Yeah. At the time, they just called her nervy. Huh. And so this doesn't seem like the kind of woman that you would want to send up in a hot air balloon. Right. And she absolutely loved it. Huh. When you think about it, if you're in late 18th century Paris, yeah. the only place to escape noise. the noise and the people and the traffic and the everything is hundreds of feet in the air. That's awesome. She liked to sleep in the air. She liked to sleep huh? in the hot air balloon. It was the only place she could sleep well. She was peaceful. She was calm. Wow. I mean, people are regularly dying going up in hot air balloons. And this nervy, anxious woman is going up every chance she gets. What are they dying of? Crashing. So they're just in the basket. The balloon gets out of control. Nobody really knows how to fly a hot air balloon. Nobody mm -hmm. really knows what's making it work or how you control it. There aren't safety protocols flying these mm. completely unwieldy brand new huh. inventions that they still literally don't understand how they work. A little bit of wind, a little miscalculation, yeah. an unsteady landing. There's a huge ratio of injuries, which I think is part of what people like. This is dangerous. It's literally death-defying to yeah. go up in one of these crazy contraptions. Now, part of what happens at this point also is that there's a little miscommunication. Somehow, a significant portion of aeronauts believe that these hot air balloons are not hot air balloons. They're hydrogen balloons. <laughs> so a oh. large percentage of people going up in a balloon are filling that balloon with hydrogen. Nice. 
you know, from our perspective now, post Hindenburg, <laughs> our first response is the horror, the horror. Yeah. <laughs> They're not there yet. They're not realizing how dangerous this is. And huh. Sophie Blanchard's balloon is a hydrogen balloon. Whoa. Uh-oh. Does this have a terrible ending? Sorry. Oh, no. But it's it's delightful on the way, so stay with me. Okay. <laughs> she lived her best life. Okay. All right. On land, she is timid and fearful. In the sky, she is utterly fearless. Oof. She is the first woman in the world to fly a balloon solo. Period? Period. And it was only her third time in the air at all. She's utterly fearless in the sky. She is every bit the aeronaut that her husband uh. is. And after just a few years, Jean-Pierre is up in the balloon, has a heart attack, and falls out of the basket. What? And lands on the ground. Oh, karma. <laughs> I don't think he was wearing the lead-lined suit. <laughs> he takes a year to die. And she nurses him for this year. Whoa. I don't even want to think about it, what that no. looks like. But on his deathbed, the, the legend has it that he said to her, look, you can either drown yourself or you can hang yourself because basically there's no money and you're going to be destitute. So he died and she was about 30. Nice guy. Sophie decided, no. In fact, I think I'm pretty good at this. I think I have a perfectly good way to make a living. And I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. And she went on to have a brilliant solo career. Yay! Now, as things are picking up here, it's no longer cool to just have a hot air balloon or a hydrogen balloon. You need something flashy. You need something exciting. It's starting to get really competitive. And Sophie decided, you know what? I have a unique market here. She built and had a little tiny gondola built, like a silver gondola to stand in instead of a big heavy basket, which meant she could have a smaller balloon, which took less gas to lift. So it's all a lot cheaper. She wore these beautiful white dresses and she just balanced there and she'd go up. And of course, she'd carry on a huge hit. And it really is shaped like a gondola. It's a little tiny ship. Oh, like a Venetian gondola. Like, like a, a Venetian boat? gondola, oh. yeah. I was envisioning like a ski gondola. Oh, no. Type of thing. <laughs> she decided this is fancier. I will look fabulous. Yeah. And ah. she would ride up under these much smaller balloons all by herself. And the crowds loved it. Ah. Now, this ability to use a smaller balloon that fills up faster is good business sense. It's, you mm. know, taking yeah. less time and less energy. It's also kind of a safety strategy and not in the air. Huh. Balloonomania was so big that people started losing control of themselves and there were many balloon riots. <laughs> I already knew I wanted to do this episode just at the phrase balloon riot. I had no <laughs> idea what that meant. Yeah. People were so excited 
about seeing balloons go up that when they failed to go up, because this is very inexact science still, yeah. there's a hole in the balloon if the fire isn't hot enough, if something goes wrong and the balloon fails to go up, there is a riot. What? And many aeronauts were beaten and what? almost killed. And many balloons ripped to shreds by angry <laughs> crowds when they failed to perform as advertised. That is insane. Thousands of people on the ground wow. waiting to watch balloons go up. And if they don't get their show, they're going to find another kind of show. Wow. There was one famous aeronaut who announced that he was bringing the biggest hot air balloon that had ever been made and that that balloon would be going up. They were about halfway through filling up the balloon and a rumor was spread, who knows by whom, that this wasn't actually his largest balloon. This was only the second largest <laughs> balloon in his collection. And just on the strength of this rumor, the outrage was so huge that they ripped his oh balloon to shreds gosh, and almost killed him. Crazy. They were not messing around, these balloon fans. No. <laughs> the first American lady aeronaut was named Madame J. We don't know her name. And she, there was a balloon riot on Broadway when her balloon failed to go up. Wow. Really incredible. I think we think of this as a more civil time. It's not like mm. these days when people are all uncouth and crass. Crude. Yeah. They were ripping balloons to shreds. Wow. <laughs> because they couldn't make them go up fast enough. So Sophie Blanchard is a little bit safer because hers more reliably goes up? Yes, it's much easier to fill up a very small balloon. Ugh. And so you have much less risk of, of getting ripped to shreds. Wow. Wild. Me, as we have established, a firm physical coward, <laughs> cannot even begin to conceive of the appeal of this at all. Oh, I would love to try it, especially standing in a gondola. Oh, I think absolutely. hanging from a trapeze would be too terrifying. <laughs> but standing in a gondola, all by yourself, up in the peace and quiet of the air? Oh, not me. I would definitely try it once. Well, I'd try it now, now that we... Yeah, now. <laughs> now that we have safety measures in place. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't do it in a hydrogen balloon. There are actually five or six hot air balloons that go up every morning in my small town. Mm. And so I've thought about going up in one. I think you I should go up in a hot air balloon now, run by professionals with more than three decades of experience. But <laughs> I definitely would not have gone up in one at this point. And I yeah. definitely would not go up in a gondola ever. <laughs> or a trapeze. Or a parachute out of anything ever under any circumstance <laughs> at the end of every summer there's a hot air balloon festival in the mountain valley near where i live and we mm. go every year and we go to the dawn launch and it is so magical every year just standing there surrounded by like 40 hot air balloons watching them fill up and i think it's the mixture of terrifying and beautiful and magical and the you know the sun is just rising over the mountains mm. the whole thing is just this intense experience just from that i think i can understand where the balloonomania came from but i can't imagine 
being so angry that one didn't launch yeah. that I would rip it to shreds. <laughs> I mean, I guess I've been in concert audiences before that had to wait a long time sure. for the... Ah, uh, yeah. If, yeah. If it had been canceled. You know, we still have stampeding crowds at yeah, canceled right. concerts. And yeah. We're no better than they were. <laughs> concerts is a good comparison because you've paid so much money to go and see that, yeah. which they probably did back then. Yeah, I'm you've sure. paid so much money. It's been, you've been expecting it for months. It's been built up into this big experience, and then you have just mob mentality. Yeah, all I was gonna say ballooning, <laughs> snowballing. No, say ballooning. Puns <laughs> are a high form of comedy. Yeah. Period. <laughs> ballooning into this huge. Phenomenon. <laughs> it wasn't just the crowds that loved these aeronauts, and Sophie in particular. Napoleon was quite obsessed with Sophie Blanchard. What? Uh, he was convinced that he could invade England by balloon. Yay! And awesome. he built an entire plan that Sophie Blanchard was going to lead France's invasion of England by balloon. Oh, I love that so much. Napoleon absolutely loved her. He was so enamored with her that he thought, right, we're going to invade England by balloon and Sophie's going to do it with us. I could just imagine this timid little woman who, you know, burst into tears if the traffic's too loud. Being so sad. Napoleon going, right, that now? Um, um. <laughs> That's wonderful. The first air invasion in history in the late 1700s. <laughs> Napoleon made Sophie his chief air minister of ballooning. That's so great. Official title and everything. Wow. She was alarmed. Not a fan of this plan. Oh. But luckily, she didn't have to publicly decline because of physics. There are prevailing westerly winds. Mm. the English Channel, and it would be almost impossible to launch a balloon attack to England from France. Wow. So she could gently point out this small problem with what is otherwise a brilliant plan, uh -huh. express regret at her inability to lead the invasion. <laughs> and luckily, she stuck around longer than Napoleon. The Bourbon King was restored. Sophie was still the darling of everybody because she was just great. Symbol of French Elan, I think, flying in the sky, you know, very unifying symbol. And she was very clever. Everyone loved her. She had masses of adventures, which were on the book, obviously, but she went once over the Alps and she got so high that she passed out. <laughs> so we came to again when she was coming back down. And there's a story she used to like to sleep in the sky because it was so peaceful. She was so at home there. Her final appearance no. was for a crowd of thousands at the Tuileries, and she decided that this whole balloon thing wasn't quite exciting enough anymore. And she thought, you know what would add some pizzazz to my ascent in a hydrogen balloon? Would be fireworks. Oh, yeah, that would, wouldn't it? Add quite Great a idea. lot of pizzazz. It added a little too much pizzazz. <laughs> And up she went with her fireworks and strung from beneath the basket and her hydrogen balloon. And then something went wrong. They think there was a leak of the balloon. And suddenly, 
Madame Blanchard was on fire and everybody was crying and screaming. Even then, this is what I think is the measure of the woman. She did not lose it. She tried, and I can imagine it in my mind's eye, actually. She tried to see her down. She tried to sort of surf in on her with her little gondola and her flaming balloon on fire. And she didn't. She crashed into a, a roof of a house, and then she crashed onto the street below. There's not a mark on her, and her little dummy was hanging on the chimney, and one of her little slippers was on the roof, and there. That was it. Bye-bye something. It was an absolute shock to the whole of France and the world, actually. It made headlines everywhere. There's a, an iconic image of this moment, the flaming balloon crashing into the roof and Sophie Blanchard falling from the balloon. Oh, we'll put wow. on the website. It's a pretty incredible image. Uh, Her death rocked Europe. It rocked the world. She was an icon. She was so famous. Huh? And the crowds were so distraught and so horrified that they started a collection for her children mm -hmm. and then realized she didn't have any children. <laughs> the mythology <laughs> of the woman was apparently so strong, nobody noticed that she did not actually have any children before they made the collection for her children. Wow. And better than that, she had been really canny, unlike her useless huckster husband who'd gone bankrupt. She had a really good business head and she'd she got rich, really, and she left all that money to her friend's eight-year-old daughter. Wow. So instead, they used the money from the collection to build a memorial, which is at the Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris. What? That's my favorite cemetery. <laughs> yeah, I go there in Paris every time. I've never noticed it, though. It's hard to miss. Uh, it's made to look like a hot air balloon on fire. <laughs> and it's inscribed, she was a victim of her art and her intrepidity. Next time, I'm definitely going to look for it. When you think about it, this is astonishing that women are doing this. Yeah. Women can't vote. Look, women can't own property. Married women have no rights at all over their own lives, over their own bodies. Oh. And yet they're up in the sky, flying around in magical machines, <laughs> shooting off fireworks... Lily Cove jumping off of trapezes yeah, in the amazing. sky. Huh. Think about the freedom that these women had. In charge of her fate, in charge of her body, in charge of oh. everything about herself. In the only place she can be. It's easy for me to live a fairly safe, comfortable life now. Huh. It wasn't. Going up on a hot air balloon was much less dangerous than giving birth. <laughs> yeah. One of the two women who was the first in England to go up in a hot air balloon in May. By December, she's in her grave, dead in childbirth. She, here she was, you know, leading her section to the sky, but the dangers on the ground for women were just as bad as they ever were. It was a very liberating thing to do if you had the gumption to do it, I think. They found a freedom in the sky that was nowhere on the ground. Thanks to Sharon Wright and to our patrons for this episode, Christina Barnsdale, Kara Peterson, and Leanne Christiansen. If you'd like to become a patron, visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com and click Donate. You'll find levels as low as $1 a month, and we also have lots of great rewards, like our cross-stitch patterns, stickers, and our fantastic women's history trading cards. 
some of which are available exclusively for our patrons. Also check out our new program where, where donors can gift a set of trading cards to teachers on our waiting list and spread their love of women's history to classrooms all over America. If you want to learn more about Sophie Blanchard or see any of the amazing pictures we've been talking about or find links to Sharon Wright's book, all of those are available at our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. Music for this episode was provided by Amanda Setlick-Wilson, Nico DiNapoli, and Bruno Walter. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review at iTunes or wherever you listen. It's much more important than you think in helping new listeners find us. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle. We also want to give a shout out to another great women's history podcast, The Dead Ladies Show, and in particular, their fantastic episode on Katie Paulus, a German aeronaut who not only made over 165 parachute jumps in her lifetime, but also invented the collapsible parachute and irrevocably changed air warfare forever. Check them out. We highly recommend them. <laughs>